When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big money and transform your home with new appliances now at Menards. We offer the lowest prices and the largest in-stock appliance selection ready to take home today. Check out top appliance brands, including KitchenAid, Maytag, Whirlpool, Amana, and Criterion. Upgrade your home and save big money on new appliances at Menards. Shop our entire selection of appliance options online today at Menards.com. Save big money at Menards. But I remember one time Daddy saying to her, Now, Sister Flo, if you're that unhappy, why don't you leave the convent? And she said, What could I do? And he said, You'd make a great priest's housekeeper. And afterwards, Mammy said, Why would you inflict her on a poor priest? (laughs) My sisters, Nula and Rena, reminiscing. (laughs) Looking back, nuns and convents are part of my earliest memories. Don't you dare use that. Rina and Nula both entered religious life. Wasn't I a beautiful baby? Whatever happened to me? And there's Nula. So looking at the photographs brings back all those memories. Yeah. Have you got the photo of you and Mum and on the Murrah? Looking at old photos yeah. and reminiscing is tinged with sadness for most people. Like the family members who have died, the sense of time passing. And, that's and for me, there's something else. Although my sisters are talking about our family... I'm not really part of their memories. No, I don't know who that is. Who's that? Is that you, Kev? I'm not sure. We were one of those stretched-out Catholic, working-class Dublin families that you don't find nowadays. Rena is the eldest, and I'm the baby of the eight children. There's a gap of nearly 20 years between us. And she used to make big apple tarts, now huge apple tarts. My older brothers and sisters grew up in the 40s and 50s. I grew up in the 60s and 70s. I don't just come from a different generation. I come from a different family, a different world and a different Ireland. And then first thing in the morning, Daddy would bring us out and collect the mushrooms. And he used to say, you have to get the mushrooms when the dew is on them. And they'd bring them back and fry them on the pan. So this documentary is an attempt to become part of those memories. That's one of my absolute favourite photos. Yeah to belong by finding out about the lives of my two sisters the two women looking at the photos <laughs> Rena and Nula that's my mother we are going through old photos preparing to mark the centenary of my late mother's birth I think it's great looking at these old pictures In the same week, there's a Golden Jubilee celebration for the four remaining nuns from Nula's novitiate class. One person who entered just stayed the night, and her parents stayed in the Bosch Hotel, and she decided it wasn't for her, and they came up the next day and collected her and brought her home. It's 50 years since my sister Nula entered the Marist novitiate, and nearly 60 years since Rena joined the French-Canadian Order of St. Joseph. 
Why did both my sisters enter the convent? No, we start as usual. I confess to I was only an infant when Rina left home to become a nun, and I was a young child when Nula left. Now, as an adult, in a year of anniversaries, it's time to find out more about my two sisters, who were once nuns. Home was Clougher Road in Crumlin, on an estate built by Dublin Corporation after the Second World War. My mam and dad were hard-working, and mam was brilliant at managing their money. Well, I think she vicariously lived through us, all of us. My sister, Rena. My mother was a very intelligent woman who didn't have the opportunities that she gave us. And I think had she had the opportunities we had, she would have run Ireland <laughs> very efficiently. My father loved my mother, and my mother loved singing. There's a family story about Mam almost becoming an opera singer. To me, it sounds like a fairy tale, but my sisters, Rena and Nula, are adamant that it's true. She was singing at midnight mass in um, Newtown Mount Kennedy, and she sang solo in the choir. And in the congregation, there was a Vincent O'Brien. He had been some way connected with John McCormack. And he went and saw Granny and Grandad, and he said, I will make her the next Margaret Burke Sheridan, who was known all over Europe. Puccini said Margaret Burke Sheridan was the only one who could do Madame Butterfly. So he thought very highly of Mum, but her mum and dad just... To them, that was pie in the sky and that wasn't reality. So we mightn't have been around. <laughs> she might have gone off and had a different career altogether. So no career in opera for my mum, but there were plenty of house parties and my mam always sang. And my brothers and sisters were expected to sing too. You had to have your party piece. There was no such thing as, I can't do it, I don't want to do it was get up there and sing. Of course you can sing, everybody can sing, get up and sing. So we were just, you know, encouraged is not really the word because we just had to do it. Urged. Urged is more the word. In our house, the word can't, or I, I don't know, we're not allowed. If you said, no, I can't do that, or I don't know that, of course you know that. Of course you can do that. At the Jubilee Mass in Knock, Nula leads the singing as my mam taught her to. I was the youngest, the baby brother, my mother's pet. My mam had mellowed by the time I was growing up. By all accounts, she was a lot tougher on my older brothers and sisters than on me. It was Christmas Day. My sister, Rena. In the afternoon, I went upstairs and I was lying on the bed and she said to me, what are you doing up here? And I said, I feel depressed. <laughs> I don't know where that came from. 
You what? I feel depressed. Here, the dishes are waiting downstairs. Go downstairs and do the dishes. You won't be depressed when you're finished. <laughs> I never said I was depressed again, ever, to anybody. <laughs> My mother probably felt she had to be tough. My parents worked hard, but they had little formal education, and throughout the 40s and 50s money was scarce. Rena was the eldest, and at 14 she went to work. As the eldest, you helped with all the housework, you helped with all the minding of the children, you helped with all the shopping. There was really no social life beyond going to sodalities and novenas and church and whatever. I had one friend, but we had very little time to socialize together. So you led a very sheltered working life. And then something happened in 1956 that changed Rena's life utterly. Two nuns from a French-Canadian order came to the parish and they were different from any nuns Rena had ever met. First of all, they were approachable. I'd never spoken to a nun outside the classroom before. And they were alive. Sister Julia was driving a car. I mean, I'd never seen a nun drive a car, drive herself. And they were just normal people, and they were gentle. I'd never heard of Canada. The pictures that they showed us looked lovely. <laughs> and did you imagine a better life for yourself? Kevin, I don't remember what I was thinking I just know I decided to go. Did Rena have a vocation? It wasn't a religious attraction. It was an adventure. So not a vocation. But as I listened to Nula and Rena, it's evident that the line between the religious and the non-religious was much less clear in the 40s, 50s and early 60s than it was when I was growing up in the late 60s and 70s. We went to all the sodalities. We went to the Miraculous Medal Devotion on a Monday night. In May, they always had rosary and benediction and the same in October. No matter what was on in the church, we went to it. I don't think we had a sense of that it was holy or that it was religion. or It was just part of your being. Having a son or a daughter enter religious life was a feather in your cap. And this was true for many working class and poorer Catholic families. Fifty years ago, your family celebrated a vocation to religious life. They celebrated the joy of hopeful departure. Today we celebrate the joy of arrival and hopeful fate. And so in 1957, my sister Rena left Ireland and travelled to London, Ontario to join the Order of St. Joseph. I was four months old. I didn't see her again until I was seven. How different was her new life in Canada? Life didn't change radically for me <laughs> uh, when I went into the convent. I was given household duties, and that's what I did. But then that's what I did at home. The only difference was that I wasn't minding children, and I was doing a lot of praying and a lot of study. I went from home, where my mother told me what to think, into a convent where the superior told you what to think. No different than being at home. But I think there was, in the core of me, there was 
part of my mother that wanted to be independent and in control of my own life. Apart from her household chores in the convent, Rena had to catch up on her education, but there was a problem. One of the things was that in the mornings we ate our breakfast in silence, but somebody always read a piece of scripture out to the community. So when it came to my turn to read, I was a basket case thinking about it. I was barely literate. So there was a, a boarding school at the mother house and I was enrolled in the secondary school classes and I finished my education there. I was 18 and I was going into sixth class, you know. Did it make you feel self-conscious or what the hell am I doing here? Or? No, I actually liked it. The teachers were totally opposite to any teachers I'd had before. They were very encouraging and I just began to enjoy learning. Nula and Rina are very different and have led different lives. But there are striking similarities in their stories. Both really struggled in primary school. And Nula seemed destined to leave school at an early age to get a job, as her older sister Rina had done before her. It was very tough. I had difficulty with reading and writing. I couldn't, couldn't master it at all. And they had huge classes. There was over 60-odd in the class. And so I was left sitting in the corner with any of the others that couldn't and just ignored practically, except to be asked every so often, spell this or add this or whatever. And when I couldn't do it, I got slapped. So I was terrified of school. But the arrival of a group of nuns to our road in Crumlin changed Nula's destiny. They were the Marists. The Marists came into my life in 1959. They opened a primary school. And I was actually the first person into that school on Clara Road. And I was blown away by the fact that we had nuns that didn't beat us around the place for no reason. I think I fell in love with them almost, you know, because it, it was a joy to go to school, something I had never experienced before in my life. And then nobody ever thought of saying, you know, well, what's Nula going to do when she leaves primary school? As you know, we were a family of seven then. And I wasn't very academic, so the idea, I think, was that, well, she Nula get a job somewhere. But the sisters saw something in me. I don't know what, God bless them, but they came and said to me, first to me, would you like to go to secondary school? And I kind of said, yeah, I think I would. And they said, we have a boarding school in Carrigan Shannon. Now, I used to read comics that would give pictures in them. I've forgotten it. It was a schoolgirl comic. I've forgotten the name of it. And it was always boarding school. And so I had the romantic idea about boarding school. So um, I said yes. So they approached Mummy and Daddy and said, will they allow me to go to boarding school? And uh, Mummy said yes, but she was worried about the fee. And Sister Venantius, who was the bursar of, of the sisters, said, no worry about the fee. She said, we'll look after that. If at any time you have some money, just put it in an envelope. Would she can come to school. And I went down to Carrigan Shannon and I loved it from the word go. And I learned that I wasn't stupid, that I could learn. And I fell in love with reading and I fell in love with history and geography. And it was like a whole new world opened up to me. That new world included the school production of the Mikado when Nula was in second year. Three little maids from school are we, but as a schoolgirl well can be. It really was a huge production. The art classes were involved in doing all the scenery and every afternoon the singing. Three little maids from school 
there was a place in Dublin Gings that you, you could hire all the costumes and the big, big um, trunks came down from Dublin with all the lovely costumes in them for the Mikado. It was a very happy occasion and was great being part of it. Oh, that was a great time. Fifty years later, five of that group who were involved in the Mikado are reunited in Knock. Fifty years ago, you gave your word fully and have kept it with honour. <coughs> you have seen great achievements, great changes. Europe recovering from the devastation of war through the innocent and swinging sixties, the collapse of the Iron Curtain, the arrival of the Celtic Tiger, and through it all, you remain faithful to the way of life that you chose 50 years ago. And we congratulate you. We thank you for these 50 years and wish you many, many more. When Rena was received into the nuns in Canada in 1958, incredibly, my mother scraped together the fare to fly the Atlantic and attend the ceremony. Mam was nothing if not resourceful. She ran a savings club, she embroidered Irish dance costumes, she worked part-time in a nylon factory. And my dad always had work and handed up his wages every week. Even still, for a working-class woman from a corporation estate to fly transatlantic in the 1950s. In 1964, I was seven. My sister Nula was in boarding school in Carrick and Shannon. My sister Rena was a nun in Canada, working as a nurse. My mum and dad were bursting with pride. But things weren't all well with Rena. I was coming up to make first vows in 1959, in August of 59, and I knew at that point that I didn't belong there. I thought about it for a while, and I spoke to the superior about it, and she said to me, you know, you're very far away from home, away from all your family and friends. You're probably feeling homesick. And oddly enough, I hadn't felt homesick up to that point because it was all so new and different, the country, the life, everything. So I was experiencing new things and I, I hadn't felt homesick. So I thought to myself, I must be homesick. <laughs> and that was the reason I was feeling the way I felt. So I went ahead. And then three years later, I was coming up to make final vows and I thought, I shouldn't be doing this. And again, I raised the issue, and again, they said to me, oh, everybody feels nervous coming up to this point. And because, because I was experiencing all new things, I felt very happy. 
I wasn't unhappy. I just thought, this life is not me. And again, when they said to me, oh, well, everybody feels that way, I accepted that and I went ahead. In 1965, Nula entered the Marist novitiate. She loved boarding school and she loved the Marist sisters. So her decision to join the order was not surprising. The day of her reception into the order was a festive occasion, not unlike the school production of the Mikado. We were dressed as brides because we were to be brides of Christ. And so we were in long white dresses and we had veils. Now, we had worked on making those beforehand, and that was fun. Some of us could sew, some of us couldn't. Nula has always been a terrific seamstress, a talent she acquired from ma'am. There was great excitement leading up to it and getting everything ready. And then the actual day, we all processed into the chapel. I can't remember the, all the words that were said, but I remember you put your arms out and the habit was put into your arms. And then you left and you went out and you were vested. And some of the, uh, the sisters were there to help you get dressed and put on your habit. You were given your name then, you know, from henceforth you will be known as Sister Ruth and so on and so forth. And then afterwards, we went out and, of course, there was photographs with family in great excitement. And then there was a banquet. So there we are in 1965. The family is changing, separating, prospering. My two sisters have entered the convent. My oldest brother Pat has married. Noel, the next oldest boy, has taken the mailboat to England to study at a training college for teachers. My dad is working in Baxendales, the builder's providers, driving a delivery truck. My mam, ever enterprising, has taken over the lease of a basement restaurant in Leeson Street. For a working-class family from Clough Road, this is as good as it gets. The Seekers are on the radio. The Vatican Council is shaking up the church. Now the Mass is said in English. Priests turn to face their congregation. And at home, my mam and dad no longer have us kneel every night to say the rosary. The winds of change are truly blowing. Nula was really happy in the novitiate. I was studying as well as I could, but again, I wasn't, as you know, very academic, so I probably wasn't as bright as the others. She didn't see herself as a teacher, but she thought she might become a care worker or a seamstress. What she did see was her future as a nun. And then Mother Mora came, fresh from Vatican Council, with all the new ways of doing things. Vatican II wasn't just about changing the Mass. The nuns began to look at church teaching, theology and religious formation in a more intellectual way. I can remember her talking about John Paul Sartre and people like that, and sure, I hadn't a clue what she was talking about. And I think she could say I was really struggling. 
she'd talk to me and she'd say things like, uh, you're finding this difficult and are you sure it's where you're the right place for you? I, I said to her eventually, I should go home, shouldn't I? And she said yes. My sister now, she sent me a suit, a blue suit to wear home. And the hardest part was you weren't allowed to tell your friends that you were leaving. That was just one of the things. And you didn't tell anyone you were leaving. So for those couple of days, you had to go on as normal, you know, as if everything was just normal. And my heart was just breaking and I wanted to tell them. But I didn't. I remained true to what I was asked to do. And I didn't. And on the morning, while the others went to class and whatever, I quietly went up and changed out of my habit and put on my clothes. And, and one of the sisters was going to Dublin on business. And I got on the train with her and off we went to Dublin and went home. And can you remember almost coming down the stairs and out the doors? And yes, I remember walking down the novitiate steps and getting into the car and the others were in there was a, a big room like where we studied and that and I could see them but they were busy working and they weren't taking any notice you know I so wanted one of them even to look out so as I could wave but nobody did you know I, I really was in bits I didn't want to go home you know yeah. yeah yeah can you remember then arriving home and who was there to greet you when you you got home Mummy and Daddy were there and, um, yeah, I get, remember, remember Daddy giving me a big hug and Mummy saying, sit down and I'll give you something to eat and it was the last thing I wanted was something to eat. And I remember going to my bedroom and just sitting there and crying and crying and crying. Had you stood on Clower Road in the summer of 1966, you would have seen me and the other small boys race up and down. The 1966 World Cup was on. We were faithfully reenacting all the big games, faithfully and noisily. But inside, in my house, it was different. When I came in from playing, my mother would hush me. Shh, she'd say, Nula. I did an awful lot of crying for about two weeks, yes. Yeah. I remember that distinctly. I didn't really want to see anybody. I just wanted to be left alone. Right. Yeah. I was just heartbroken. Nula was broken-hearted, and my mum and dad were tiptoeing around her sadness. I was nine, old enough to feel the atmosphere in the house, but too young to understand it. I suppose in hindsight it was kind of a depression, maybe. For some reason I just wasn't well, and I couldn't eat, and I couldn't sleep. And so did you, what were your feelings? Did you feel a sense of, was it regret? I was very sad because I really wanted to be a Mara's sister. And I also felt I'd failed. I really had failed. But then <laughs> I think I, I have, that's part of my kind of life. I fail at things. I fail beautifully at everything I try to do. <laughs> my mum and dad were upset for Nula. My mum in particular liked the idea of having two nuns in the family. But if her youngest daughter had left, her eldest, Rena, was still a nun. Throughout the 1960s and 70s, she worked as a nursing sister in a number of Canadian hospitals. 
She was the shining light in her family, and my mam was not shy about singing Rena's praises to her aunts and uncles. Nula turned 21 in September 1966, a few months after she left the convent. She was frail and low in herself. Then she got a job in Winston's department store in the city centre, where our brother Pat was a manager. At a local drama group, she met a young man and fell in love. If 1967 was the summer of love in San Francisco, on Cloha Road it was 1969. Both my brother Noel and my sister Nula got married. I was 12. I was looking forward to going to secondary school. The introduction of free secondary education in 1967 and the fact that most of my brothers and sisters had left home meant that my mam and dad could afford to keep me in school and I served as an altar boy at Nula's wedding. But there was to be no happy ever after for Nula. After a little more than three years, her marriage was over. My marriage breakup was funny in that I didn't know my marriage was breaking up till it was gone. Now that sounds silly, but I didn't have a clue. I was very naive, I hadn't a clue. I was madly in love with my husband. I loved him to bits. And I, I don't think I ever loved anyone ever again like the way I loved him. We got married and within 10 months I had Susan and two years later I had Ruth. Ruth was born in February and in December my husband was gone. And I didn't know he was having an affair. I had absolutely no idea until he left. Nula had support from our family and she had support from another group because... Although she'd left the convent, she never lost contact with the Marist sisters. They were just, as I say, just there. Give me a hug, you know, whatever. How are you? How are the children? Absolutely no judging. The Golden Jubilee celebrations in Knock. Although Nula left before becoming a nun 50 years ago, she is there as a special guest. You have only one father, and he is in heaven. You have only one teacher, the Christ. In many ways, Nula never left the Marists. Nula and her two girls came to live with my parents. By this time, only my brother Sean and I were at home. I was still at school, a watchful 15-year-old. Mam and Dad idolised their two grandchildren, but they were upset for Nula. And my mam was more than upset, she was angry. Angry at the man who left her daughter angry at the clergy, the priests, for offering such little consolation, and for allowing it to happen in the first place, angry at God. In the late 1980s, after more than 20 years in the French-Canadian Order of St. Joseph, my sister Rena told her superiors that she wished to leave religious life. But it wasn't so straightforward. They insisted that I make a discerning retreat and 
the retreat master, the first thing he said to me after we talked for about 10 minutes, he said, what are you doing there? What are you still doing there? I think they hoped that I would go on this discerning retreat and he would say to me, oh no, you should be, you should stay in the convent. But he didn't, he said, on your bike. Daddy, his first words were, have you been unhappy all those years? Um, and I wasn't. I, that was part of the problem, <laughs> is that I can't really say that I was unhappy. I just knew that I wasn't meant to be there. Mm. And many times when I thought through the years that I should leave, I'd get a new assignment that was interesting. You know, I went out west. I went to several different hospitals. And each new assignment sort of distracted me from the fact that I was thinking I should leave. Mum mm. was not happy. <laughs> she was very upset. What she said? She said, you're not thinking of coming home, are you? And what will the neighbours think? On the other hand, Daddy said, of course you're coming home. But Rena didn't come home. She remained in Canada. And the first thing she did was to follow the advice given to her by the retreat director. He said to me, if you're going to leave, you need to make a complete break. Therefore, don't have any contact with them for at least a year with anyone. All of my friends were in the convent. My whole life had been in that convent. So I was cut off from them for that year. And I, I tell you, the number of times I picked up the phone to call and just wanting to connect with someone. Rena worked nights in a hospital. She was newly independent, independent but isolated. She didn't have the same supports that Nula had back home when she left the convent. I worked for five years on an evening shift from 3 to 11. So when everybody else was going out socialising, I was going to work, mm. which was partly to help me get used to living mm. independently and, and working independently. Rena was 40 at this stage, but it was not her plan to stay independent and alone. She did go out with men a couple of times. One was an accountant who worked at the hospital. He forgot to tell me that he was married <laughs> and that his wife didn't understand him. Um, <laughs> well, that's what he said. <laughs> and, the <laughs> and the other one, actually, he was an Irish fellow who had emigrated to Canada. And we dated for maybe a month and a half and... Then he decided he was going back to Ireland, and he left. So unlike Nuala, Rena did not meet the love of her life after she left the convent. After her marriage breakup, Nuala went back to work to support herself and her two daughters. And though the odds were stacked against the single mother, with the help of her family and neighbours and the Maris sisters, she got back on her feet, though she had little time to socialise. I went to work, I came home, that was my life. And then when the girls got a bit older, I went to work in hickey fabrics. And that was a whole different ball game. They were very sociable. And on a Saturday evening after work, especially if we'd had a very good day in the shop, They'd all go to the pub. No, I didn't drink. So I'd go in for an hour and sit. 
But when it came to my 40th birthday, the girls said, you are not sitting with us and not having a drink on your birthday. And they gave me some vodka and orange. It was the first time I ever drank any alcohol. First time ever. And um, I liked it. Eventually, I opened my own business in Greystones. And while I was there, there was a, a man who had a business beside me. And he used to go racing to Chelton. And he said to me, you'd enjoy the crowd that we all go away with. Why don't you come to Cheltenham? And he was always talking about going to Cheltenham. So I went one year and I, I met a man um, that was in the group. And uh, we became great friends. But we were only kind of racing friends. I would only meet him up at the racing every so often. It wasn't a romance, it was a friendship, you know, more than anything. And um, I used to have great fun with him. But that just fizzled out then, you know. But I didn't have... Well, eventually he died right. anyway. <laughs> but about... about <laughs> <laughs> it has a way of fizzling out when you die. <laughs> it was fizzling out before that anyway. <laughs> Just one of those things. I used to enjoy all those men's, all the men's company. That sounds awful because there was women in the company too. But they were lovely people. They were, they were great pals, you know. I know this sounds silly, but my husband it was the love of my life. I don't think I'd ever have been able to love anyone the way I loved him. And I gave him my all. Eventually, Rena came home from Canada. Both my parents are now dead, and Nula and Rena live together in Wicklow. Um, if I'm here, yes. But Rena listens more to lyric. I like lyric. Oh. I, 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 I'm RTE one person. Their home is an apartment, but sort of a convent? No, this is not a convent. Never. Does it feel like a convent? Because we'll do something, we'll paper the walls or something. You're about to be thrown out for those remarks. Anyway. You Rena is also involved with the Marists as a lay member and volunteer organiser. my mother with Anthony and Sean. We're back looking at photos in preparation for the family reunion to mark our mother's centenary. And my dad with Kevin. I would love to have married and had a family. I envy Nula and my brothers, their families and I know I'm loved and I love each member of my family, but there's a whole history, family history, that I've missed out on. There's part of me that has never regained the sense of belonging within the family. And I think, I don't think I ever will. I think I've lost it. Rena is right about family, history and belonging and missing out. As the youngest in the family, I missed out on many of the moments that defined their lives and the lives of my older brothers.
in making this program about them and for them, I have regained something, something of my sister's histories, and getting closer to a family that I scarcely knew. Look at that one. That was down in Dunleary. Yeah. We often used to go to Dunleary because the band played as the boat was going out. And we'd wait, and we'd always want to hear the last song they always played was Come Back to Erin. Come back to Erin, Mavornin, Mavornin. Come back again to the land of your birth.